to A Texan's View of the World with your host, Jeb Bashaw. Good afternoon, folks. This is Jeb Bashaw, and this is my podcast, A Texan's View of the World. Today, I want to share my continued concerns about where we are as a country, a culture, and a people. Much has been said about the new generation, this group they call the Millennials. It's been said they are the playgroup generation, that all their activities have been planned or scheduled for them. It's also been said that they are the participation trophy generation, and that the reason they lack competitive skills is because they've been given, well, literally everything, including a trophy just for showing up. They're also the social media generation. They literally believe everything they see on TV or the Internet. And to some, it seems they lack common sense. As an example, they believe you can change gender by wanting to change your gender. It does sound kind of crazy, doesn't it? So this is probably a sad review of an entire generation. But of course, the reason stereotypes are funny is because they're true. We all know exceptions to these generalizations. Certainly our daughter in Montana, who works on a farm, doesn't get a trophy for showing up. She gets a suntan, a backache, and the enjoyment and appreciation of a job well done. There's nothing subjective about being a farmer. You either succeed or you don't succeed. Our son in Colorado does part-time work driving a snowplow, and with the big snow job they had this week, he worked 40 out of 48 hours straight. That's hard work, and you can't call that in. One of my favorite quotes is from the character John Dutton in Yellowstone. He says, as a rancher, he's asked to give the blessing at a cattleman's dinner. He stands before the group and says, quote, Dear God, give us a little rain and a little luck, and we'll do the rest. Amen. And I think that's how most of us see the world. We are a fiercely independent group, we Americans. We've never won a war where we kept the ground we fought to preserve. We don't own large parts of Europe or Asia. In fact, we helped them rebuild after the wars. On our own shores, we brought a better way of life to the folks who were here before us. And for all my liberal friends, don't sell me on our mistreatment of anyone. Come to Texas, and I'll show you the difference between success and being unsuccessful. It's called progress for you progressives. And the border is the perfect place to see what's going on. As you know, I was recently on retreat at the Jesuit Retreat House. It's very peaceful, and when you come out of all the noise, it gives you a great chance to reflect. Sometimes, left to your thoughts, you consider things that you didn't previously think about. In Ignatian spirituality, one of the great gifts in reading scripture is to put yourself on the scene. As a child, I always hated reading the crucifixion story in church, particularly the part where we say, Crucify him, crucify him. I really didn't want any part of that. I believe in a loving God, and just as I think Christ would never hurt me, I would never hurt him. As I got older, I began to see the scene differently. I always imagined myself as Simon the Cyrenian. Simon of Cyrene is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke Gospels as the man who carried the cross of Jesus to the location of his death. Since Cyrene was located in modern-day Libya, Many have suggested that Simon was a dark-skinned African man who had come to Jerusalem to worship during the Passover. However, since only his hometown was specified, and many Jews lived in Cyrene during this time, his ethnicity is unknown for certain. The thing about Simon is he is probably in Jerusalem on vacation. 
As we scatter this week for spring break, imagine yourself. You're in a foreign country in a foreign city. He had come from Libya with his two kids. You look up and they are beating the hell out of some guy. Your reaction as a parent is to shield your children from this vicious beating. How many of us would jump in and try to help and stop it? How many of us are bystanders? Simon was conscripted by the Roman soldiers to help. He did it begrudgingly. I can tell you sadly that many times I have probably stood by and not jumped in. I'm human, but I try to right a wrong every day. So as I reviewed this idea of putting yourself in the scene, I came upon the story of the prodigal son. For most of us, this is a simple story. A spoiled, entitled kid asks for his, quote, share and leaves his family and older brother behind to do the hard work. After leaving, he loses everything, comes back, and the father welcomes him with open arms. Of course, the metaphor is that no matter what we do to God the Father, he is always there for us and will always welcome us back with open arms. It seems simple, but not so fast. Let's review the other folks in the scene. First, let's talk about the prodigal son. In the times of this parable, the oldest son got most of the inheritance. In fact, no matter how many kids there were, the eldest son got a double share of the inheritance. So the prodigal son got a share that was somewhat less than his older brother, affectionately known as the good son. So he was receiving a smaller portion. Now, was this prodigal son mad he wasn't getting what he wanted? Was he lazy? Was he a playboy? We don't really know, but it sounds like he had a darn good time until he ran out of money. Then there's the mom. She's not even mentioned in the story, but was he a mama's boy? Maybe the father was a widower and spent all his time working, and the younger son didn't feel loved. Did he want to get out of the shadow of his older brother? And then there's the older brother. While his younger brother gets the cash, he is left laboring in the field with his dad. He gets no instant gratification. Just the promise that someday it will all be his. As intriguing as that promise is, it certainly is delayed gratification at best. He watches the other brother go out, have a great time, and then eventually be welcomed back like a lost hero. As an interlude, you may know this is the third parable that Christ teaches us about redemption. The first is the lost sheep. The shepherd laments when he loses one sheep, although he has many. The second is the lost coin of the old woman, who rejoices when she finds it. And finally, this the third, the prodigal son, where the father rejoices when his son returns. And as we place ourselves in the scene, finally there's the dad. Imagine the heartache of the dad to lose his child over money. Here he has built up this great business. He couldn't be happier. He and his sons are laboring together and building a greater business. They are successful, as noted by the large number of slaves and workers they have both in the field and in the house. Like any dad, he doesn't show favoritism. He loves all of his sons and daughters equally. He probably hopes that they will all bear him many grandchildren, and he prays for the day when he will get his own reward from God the Father. This is supposed to be a happy time. They are successful, happy, and healthy. And his son comes to him, demands money, and runs away. How devastating. But is it? It's devastating to the father and the other son because that's not what they saw happening. It was devastating to the prodigal son because, well, frankly, he made some pretty bad decisions and had to come back hat in hand. On a side note, the workers probably snickered when he came back, but if they did, they would have missed the true story of redemption 
and love if they had felt that way. So as you rethink this story, what role do you see yourself in? Father, prodigal son, oldest son, or all three? I have seen all three, and I have been the eldest son, literally and figuratively. As the oldest son of a widowed mom, I took the responsibility of being the head of house in an early age. My dad died when I was seven. I remember getting my Social Security card at age seven. My mom jokingly told me I was going to work. But as we know, it was just another part of the government bureaucracy, that and my Selective Service draft card. And I'm not saying my brother, my younger brother ran off with the money, because we didn't have any. But as we joke, he ran away to the University of Texas in Austin and never came home. As my mom struggled with health problems later in life, I was there to take her to doctor's appointments, radiation treatments, and other things like changing light bulbs. By the way, if your mom ever asks you to change a light bulb, that's code for, I haven't seen you in a while. As my brother would come to visit periodically, it was like the scene of the prodigal son, where the fatted calf is killed and a big party is held. Mom would gush over whatever trinket he had brought, generally a piece of yadro or a necklace from his travels. He would sometimes taunt me when I would call, and he would say, I'm the favorite, how can I help you? While I feigned being upset, the truth was, I knew he was the favorite. What's not to like? He comes in, a band playing, killing the fatted calf. I was the worker in the field, and I knew my mom loved me just the same, not more or less, but just the same. When my my mom died of cancer in her 80th year, what I realized was what a gift I had been given that I had gotten to spend more time with her in the last years of her life, and I enjoyed every minute. So as I reread the parable each year, I wanted to scream at the older son and say, pay attention, you're being given a gift your brother will never receive, the gift of time with your father. So as I approached my 60th year, I realized too I could become the father in the story. While I was on a retreat as a going away gift, Father gave us all a wonderful rendition of the crucifix as a keepsake. In the piece, it shows the Holy Spirit at the top of the cross, God the Father in the middle, and Jesus hanging on the cross. Jesus, on one hand, is being held to the cross, a symbol that he made the choice for us as the only begotten Son. On the other side, he's being held up by God the Father as a sign that no matter where we find ourselves, God will always be there to support us and help ease our burden. As I look at this crucifix, what I see is that Christ is at the center of all things, worldly and heavenly, and that he is the eternal sign of both humanity and divinity. It's a comforting thought to have during these challenging times. I, of course, worry for all of our children. How will they react to the story in their own lives? All of our children are successful and accomplished in their own right. While this is not the Israel of old, in the New Jerusalem, they will take their rightful place as well, and perhaps we will one day prepare the fatted calf. So my lamentation about the, quote, trophy generation is actually an old story told over and over since the time of Jesus. While we question things in our lives today, we must realize that there is nothing new under the sun, at least to God the Father. That is the story of redemption and the reality that he will welcome us back time and time again. While on retreat, we discussed the Sacrament of Reconciliation. 
for old-time Catholics, it's called penance or holy confession. Penance is an outward expression that we did something wrong, and we are sorry for it. In the peril of the prodigal son, he shows this by prostrating in shame and offering to do the work of a slave. Needless to say, the father, so happy to see him, picks him up and all is forgiven. This is the father that our retreat master wanted us to see. And as he so correctly pointed out, God the Father lives in the present. He has always lived in the present. He doesn't hold a grudge, and as a result, neither should we. One of my favorite prayers at nighttime is the Glory Be, where we say glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. So God has always been in our lives, always in the present. In fact, our retreat master said it more succinctly. If we as Christians truly believe Christ died for our sins, why do we keep carrying them around with us? Just say I'm sorry and move on. That's all the Father wants to hear. And as another priest once told me, if Christ died for our sins, why do we keep putting him back up on the cross with our own unwillingness to forgive? Last weekend, we Catholics celebrated Latari Sunday. It's highlighted by the fact that the priest wears rose-colored vestments. For you non-Catholics, think of this weekend as halftime in the big football game of Lent and Easter. It's a break in the action to regroup as we head for Passover, the crucifixion of Christ, and of course, the joy of the Easter season. After four weeks of eating fish, wearing ashes, and generally being glum, it's a time to smile. For those of you that are marathoners, think this is mile 16. We are in the home stretch. So as we continue through life, let us ever be mindful of the other folks in the story and their feelings as well. You can disagree with someone and still have compassion. Like God, we should live in the present and not carry the burdens of our past for which we have been divinely relieved. Spring comes next week, a time of revival and newness after the long winter of COVID and, of course, our most recent Texas winter storm. Vaccines are here, and at least in Texas, masks are optional. It's a wonderful time to remember for each of us that yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, and today is a gift from God, which is why we call it the present. My name is Jeb Bashaw, and this is my podcast, A Texan's View of the World. 